Good morning. Oh, good. It is on. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wonderful to see you all. And uh, good morning to those that are online. It's a privilege, always a privilege to stand behind the pulpit and be able to be an instrument of bringing his word. And we're going to look into a lot of his word today, if that's okay with you. And I just want to thank everybody who asks us in terms of when we travel. I recently had the privilege of going to LA. Um, it's a long, long way to go, but anyway, it was a privilege to go there, and uh, it was a great weekend. And I uh, have the privilege of going back to Canada in two weeks' time, because so, Canada's open, so um, now I, we can go back, so it's wonderful news. Just a lot of people ask, so I'm just letting you know. All right, wonderful. All right, if you've got a Bible, um, you can get it ready. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 28. But before we do that, um, just that you know that's where we're going to go, um, I just want to lay a bit of a foundation before we get to Deuteronomy 28. And uh, even before we do that, if I can just say this, Ephesians 1 that Clayton mentioned about opening up the eyes of your heart, I encourage you to pray that prayer. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. I would encourage you to pray that as often as you can. Just read it out. Just mean it with your heart. It's about God opening up the eyes of our heart that we may know him better. Because when revelation comes, as Clayton says, we change. It brings transformation. And as we allow that process to take place, it brings habitation. That's when he comes and lives within us. And his word comes to get established in us. That's the process. But it has to start with revelation. It has to. It can't start any other way. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about possessing the land. Clayton started that a few weeks ago, and I want to just piggyback a little bit off that. And uh, as I said, we want to uh, look at Deuteronomy 28, but we're going to read into that, or we're going to read before that some of the stuff that happened. So we have a context of what Deuteronomy is about. Deuteronomy just means repeating or saying again, second where Moses comes and repeats again and calls out the history of the journey out of Egypt in the desert, and now they're right at the borders of the promised land for the second time. They were there before, and then you know what happened, and they did 38 years of wandering around and saying, I've seen this rock before, I've seen this rock before, and going around, and they back to the same place they were a year after they left Egypt. And now Moses is now repeating all because that generation has died. The generation that has been born while they were traveling 38 years has been risen up and grown up. And now he needs to repeat to them, all right, this is what happened. This is the history. This is what happened. And even all the laws, etc., etc., etc. And he does it for a reason. That's what Deuteronomy 8 we're going to read. But... Um, and 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that these things that happened to the Israelites were for us, examples for us. You don't have to turn to it. So we could learn from it. So it could encourage us. It could be a warning to us because of whom the end of the ages is resting upon us. And so often at time, Paul would refer back to that journey so we can learn some biblical principles and take them and put them within our lives. So now the people of Israel have been delivered from Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders. Through all the plagues that happened. Incredible plagues, miraculous signs and wonders. And now they've come to the Red Sea. 
And then if we go to Exodus 14, this is just to get us to a place that we need to be. Exodus 14, we're just going to read a few scriptures in each particular chapter. They come to the Red Sea, and uh, I think it'll come up at the back over there. I'm not too sure what's from verse 10. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Verse 11, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So then Moses obviously answers it. I mean, that's the response. After all these miraculous signs and wonders, Moses cries out to the Lord. The Lord says, Moses, what is in your hand? He's teaching them something because he's taken years to teach him about his staff. He says, you do it. Just divide the water. That's the anointing that I've put in your hand, the staff. And so the water divides, and through the Red Sea they go. And uh, unfortunately, this set into these Israelites years of grumbling. So let's go to the next one. Let's go to Exodus 15, verse 22. When Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, they've just passed the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Sur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marai, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why it is called Marai. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. This Moses was continually crying out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree for them, and there he tested them, saying, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right, pay attention, keep his decrees, then I will not bring on you what I'm going to bring on the other people. So we can see, and then verse 24, uh, down to, sorry, yeah, that's just read there. So you can see again, the first time they come against an obstacle against the Red Sea, what comes out of them is the moaning and groaning. The next time they face an obstacle, yet they had seen miraculous signs and wonders. What comes out of them is, why have you brought us here? We've got nothing to drink. There's no water. Yet it's interesting it was the Lord that was leading them from one place to the next. That's what he was doing. Because the Bible says the, cliff, the pillar of fire went by night and the cloud in the day. And only when that moved were the Israelites to move. Not before. So all they had to do every time they came against an obstacle was what? Just look up. And there was God present in this fire, in this cloud. He was with them. A wonderful sermon you preached last week, by the way. I heard it on the week. Wonderful. God is with them. He's with them. He's never left them. He's with them. God is always with us. With the Israelites, he was there in a sense. He didn't live in them, but he was with them. Today, he lives in us. Wherever we go, he goes in a sense. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm saying that for a reason. We're coming to it. Let's go to the next one. Exodus 16, verse 2. 
In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then once again, Moses gets on his knees and goes before the Lord and begins to help these people and sort them out. Let's go to Exodus 17. I'll read from verse 1. I only got it from verse 2 coming up. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Again, verse 4, you can see Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord begins to direct him and help him with this. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. Skip Leviticus, thank goodness. <laughs> There's a lot in it, but Numbers chapter 11, reading from verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. That's the first time, the Bible says, his anger was aroused. This is actually the first time that they've complained. His anger was aroused. Then the fire from the Lord burnt around them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Think about it. Now fire comes. It doesn't touch the people, but it's like God saying, I'm here. I can hear what's happening. And it's like the Lord pitches up as they're moaning and fire burns the outskirts of the camp. I think it got their attention. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was called Terabah because the fire from the Lord had burnt, them, had burnt among them. Verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And who gave them the manna? The Lord. And now they're complaining about what God has given them. Graciously given them. We never see anything but this manna. Let's go to chapter 14. They sent the spies out. They come back. You know the story. Chapter 14, verse 1. Ten bring a bad report, two bring a good report. That night the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Because of the bad report that had come and how big the inhabitants were. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jethanan, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Go down to verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I performed among them? How long? And all they had to do was look up. I feel like the Lord sometimes says to us, how long will it take before you believe in me that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you? How long will it take before you believe that I will set you free? How long will it take before you believe that what my son did at Calvary is full payment for all that you need in this life? How long? This is not a sermon where you're going to walk out of here and do cartwheels and just sing hallelujahs. <laughs> this is more of establishing some foundations and making sure they secure underneath us. It's desperately needed in our time. So, what they did for 40 years in the desert, that whole generation had now passed away, as I said. Remember the people were led by the cloud and the pillar of fire and also by the sounding of the silver trumpets. In this way they would know when where they had to leave, when they had to set up, when they had to set up camp, when they had to tear down, and when they had to assemble together and when they had to go to war. So God was always with them. But this constant moaning or grumbling or complaining, persistent, was persistent, persistent. And eventually, if you carry on reading Numbers 14, the Lord said, okay, that's it. This generation will no longer enter into the promised land. The very thing they said is going to happen is now going to happen. Their children are now going to enter the promised land, not them. They're actually going to get buried in the desert. But I will look after them. Their feet will never wear out. Their sandals will never wear out. They'll never have want. Their clothes will never wear out. Isn't that the goodness of God? And he watched over them. The book of Hebrews is written, in a sense, to encourage us to enter into the promises of God. So oftentimes it's referred back to the Israelites' journey and all that took place. Because the book of Hebrews is about fulfilling our promises in God, about entering into the promised land that the Lord has for us. It's not about salvation. This is not about salvation. These people, in a sense, were saved. They come through the Red Sea. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, they were baptized under the water in Moses. They belonged to the Lord. But they never entered into all that he had for them, all that he wanted for them, because of this constant complaining and moaning and groaning. Psalm 95, if you can go there. Psalm 95 talks about this a little bit. It does get better, trust me. <laughs> I'm just laying the foundation. Psalm 95, 
Verse 6 says, Come, let us bow in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the flock under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, that's testing, as you did the day at Manasseh in the desert, where your fathers tested me and tried me. They had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was, in a sense, angry with that generation. And I said, these people... Their hearts are constantly going astray. So it refers back to, go to Hebrews chapter 3, if you have a Bible. Hebrews chapter 3, I don't have it written down yet. Again, in the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned that. If you go to verse 5, it says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son of a God's house. That's you and me. And we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years and saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared an oath that they will never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another. So you can see the book of Hebrews refers back to that, to encourage us to press in, to press on to all that God has for us. So now we go to Deuteronomy 8. We've got a bit of a context. Is that okay? It's a lot of scripture, I know. And I trust you will go home and read it. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. Be careful. Now remember, they just before the promised land. All this has happened. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live, may increase, may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you in all the way in the desert these 40 years to do what? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Observe the commandments of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways, revering them. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, land where bread will not be scarce and you will be lacking nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commandments, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, 
and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and you have all that is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There he led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and wasteless land and its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Underline that, that it might go well with you. That's always the heart of God, that it goes well with us. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced as well for me. But remember, the Lord your God, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. That's the context. And two things I want you to notice there. First thing is it says that all this happened so I could test you and know what was in your heart. And let me ask you a question. Do you think the Lord already knew what was in their heart? It's so that they could know what was in their heart. That's what it's about. And so sometimes when we go through some trials and struggles, it's not because God's against us. It's because God wants to know that we know what's in our heart. He already knows. When he saved Kevin, he didn't say, now what am I going to do? I have a problem. Because Kevin's got issues in his heart. No, he doesn't. I'm teasing. And so, so often when we go through some trying times and struggles, we beat ourselves up because of the stuff that pops out of us. And then we partner with the evil one. And so what I'm talking to you about is when the trials and the testings come our way, because as a Christian, they will come your way. That is a guarantee. <laughs> we got to know how to respond. Because our response, response determines our next season. It's what it does. We just read it. And so the issue is not so much with what's in your heart. The issue with is how do we respond to allow the God to deal with what's in my heart? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what it is. That's what trials. Are. And the second part of that is that it may go well with you. I did all this so that it may go well with you. Lord never wants us to fail. He's not there trying to trip us up. I said to somebody once, when we fall as Christians, we fall forward. We never fall back. It's like you've fallen and escalated and it just keeps going up. Because that's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. But in order for us to possess and take hold of what he has for us, when we receive it, if we are not ready for it, it will do more harm than good to us. And so he wants to prepare us so we're in a place to receive what he has promised us. So then when we get it, it doesn't, it's not our demise. Do you understand what I'm saying? It benefits us, and not only us, but those around us. That's what he wants to do. And so I want to talk a little bit on the areas of testings that we go through. As I said, it's not a cartwheel-type sermon. You're going to run out your, yippee-yay, the testings are coming, or whatever. whatever. 
It's not that type of sermon at all. But it's foundational because we need to be aware of it. And trust me, having walked with the Lord for this many years, Michelle and I have been through a number of testings. And I'm not saying we always responded correctly. But in the grace of God, he allowed us to go through it again. And we eventually started to learn some stuff, if you know what I mean. Particularly Michelle. So, uh, (laughs) not at all. And so the areas of testing, not in this order. There will be testings of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 says that. You will be tested. Temptation will come your way. But the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, I think it will go up there, I can't remember, is that God will not allow you to be tempted what you cannot handle. He will always give you a way out if you allow him to. And I noticed in my own life, when testings of temptation come my way, when God has given me the grace to withstand it, I have found in the days after that, something inside me enlarged. Something inside me shifted. Something happened inside. I could feel it. And so the testings of temptation are very real. They come to us. And so we've got to learn how to deal with them. Because they will come. Jesus was tempted. Number two. Testings of perceived personal deficiencies. What I call character flaws. We have them. And sometimes we're not aware of them. And sometimes our character flaws chase people away rather than invite people in. And God wants to deal with it. And we've got to allow him to deal with it. Not because he's against us. It's because he loves us. We have to understand this. He disciplines those he loves. And so I allow him to do it. I know one of the first prophetic words I ever got in my life, which was from a man called David Cape, he said a couple of things, and right in the middle he said, and God would say to you, he's going to deal with your insecurity. And it was a process. It didn't come overnight. It was a process. It was a process. There's a difference between having moments of insecurity as opposed to living from a place of insecurity. And that's what he was going to begin to deal with. And he did deal with it over it. took a while, but I know I'm a lot further on than where I was before, by the grace of God. A lot further on. When that happens, ask God, what is the root that is causing this? And then what is the truth of your word? What is the root that causes me to behave in this way? What is the root? Because that's what he wants to deal with. What's the lie I've believed? What's the lie I've taken into my life? Have I believed somebody that somebody said something to me and my dad said to me that I'll never amount to anything or whatever it is? What is that lie? And he'll reveal it to you. And then he'll give you the truth from which to live from. And that will undergo I cannot remember where it happened, <clears throat> but um, when you're in ministry, um, sometimes you are very popular and sometimes you're not popular. We just saw by Moses. And so uh, sometimes people speak things against you 
and then you tend to hear it through whatever you hear it. And I remember how it used to affect me. And then many, many years ago, I heard somebody say something, and they were telling me about it. And this, that, you know that feeling you get inside, where there, there's an emotion inside or a twang inside? That wasn't there anymore. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've set me free. Amen. And then you're just allowed to wash off you. Number three, testings of apparent failure. And I've used apparent failure. Think of Peter denying Jesus. Jesus told him it would happen. Peter said it will never happen. Jesus said, I know what's in your heart, Peter. You don't know what's in your heart. I know what's in your heart. And so this is going to happen. And when it does, I will pray for you. That's what the Bible says. And when you are, when you are strengthened and when you return, strengthen your brothers. He said all that before it happened. Isn't that amazing? And so we see Peter was the one on the day of Pentecost. He's the one that stood up. He's the one that preached. The 11 stood with him. He's the one, in a sense, was even a little bit more successful than Jesus, in a sense. 3,000 people got saved in his first sermon. Amen. Yeah. Don't allow the devil to jump on you. Number four, testings of God's expressed will for our lives. Prophecies will be tested. And the thing that gets you through is a knowing that you're called and a knowing who you are in his eyes. You're knowing that you're a child. You're knowing that you're born again. You know in where you're going one day. That's what gets you through. That's what gets you through those times. Next one, testings of relationships. This is a big one. <laughs> testings of relationships. Husband, wives, family relationships, friends. There's a test that comes. We don't look for it, but it comes our way. And your relationship is only as strong as what you've been through. It's only as strong as what we've been through. And so I encourage you, when you go through this, learn not to point fingers at one another. Learn not to point a finger at your wife or your husband. I, that's the first step towards beginning to foster this relationship. And wherever you can, the Bible says, make peace. Make peace. Testing of relationships. Number six, testings of lack of recognition. And I put promotion. In other words, where you feel like people are not recognizing your gifting or your anointing or your calling or whatever the case is. And you will go through that. If God's called you to something, you will go through that in a season. That's a fact. You will go through that. Where people, you tend to get overlooked. You tend to be bypassed. And that's okay. When that happens, thank God for what's coming down the line. Because something good is coming down the line. Next one. Testing of man's praises. This is a big one. Proverbs 27, one says this, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, 
that man is tested by the praise he receives. That's what 1 Peter is about, 1 Peter 1, where Peter says your faith will be tested. Just like gold is refined, your faith will be tested so you know that it's genuine and pure. It's genuine and it brings you into maturity. And so testing of man's praises. Charles Spurgeon, I think it was him that said one day he preached and he went to the back of the church and somebody came past him, a lady, and shook his hand and said, Mr. Spurgeon, there was a wonderful sermon today. And he said, yes, I know, the devil told me as well. And so I'm not saying don't honor people, don't encourage them, don't like just what I did with Tommy, but don't let that define who you are. That's the key. Don't let that define your value. Don't let that define your acceptance. That's what I'm saying. Don't go look for it either. I remember I've learned now after many years, it took me about to be married for 43 years, so it took me 42 years that uh, when I was preaching on the way home, I'd say to Michelle, so what do you think? And my wife's very honest, which I love, very honest. And so I learned that when she doesn't give me an answer, it's because she's not sure how to say what she wants to say. <laughs> and I remember how that used to affect me for the rest of the day. I'm being honest, it did. And so I've learned not to ask anymore. <laughs> I want to ask, but I don't. <laughs> but she's very honest. When it does well, she says, you did well, so it's good. It's just amazing how we all look for that. There's something inside of us that looks for that. Eh? And I'm encouraging you, just don't base your value on that. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't base your identity on that. That's what it's about. It's fine in asking, what really did you think? Be honest with me. But then if she tells you the answer, be ready for it and learn to deal with it. Yeah, testing of man's praise. All right. Next one, testing of unsuspecting calamities. When things come your way, you've never planned them, you never expect them. It's like they came out of the blue. They just hit you, whatever happened. Just something happened. Um, I don't want to say things because it's just things that just happen. You have an accident or something, you fall and hurt yourself or whatever, and it's, it's for weeks or months later, it's just all the stuff that you've got to work out and whatever the case is. They're just unsuspecting. They just come your way. Next one, testings of success. This is a big one. Success will test you in a way that failure never will. For me, this is one of the biggest ones, testing of success. Let me say to those of you who know you have an anointing on your life, the anointing is very heady, but you're not the anointing. That's God's gracious gift over your life. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Because when I get down from this pulpit, I'm just me, trust me. Dealing with same things that you are dealing with, going through the same things that you're going through. No different. We have to understand that. Working out in my family, my relationship with my wife, and same. It's the same things. It's nothing different. Hello? And I'm not the anointing. I'm not the man who lays hands on people and the blind eyes see and the lame walk and the deaf hear. That's the grace of God and the goodness of God and the power of God and the favor of God. 
I'm Ken. That's it, married to Michelle, with three kids and a million grandkids, with two dogs and one cat, and they have more authority over demons. That's who I am. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We love the Lord. I know I'm a child of God. I know where I go in, and I'm walking out the salvation just like you and me, just like everybody else. I'm busy working it out. You need to, okay? Yeah. I encourage you, never put a person on a pedestal. God will take them off that pedestal. Yeah. Honor them. Encourage them. I, yes, we need to do that. We need to honor those that God has put where he's put them. We need to encourage them. We need to pray for them. We need to help them. But don't do that. Smith Wigglesworth one day came down. He was staying with somebody. He was in his early 80s. He came down the stairs with tears. And they said to him, why are you crying? They called him Smithy. Why are you crying, Smithy? He said, the Lord has told me he's taking me home because people have their eyes on me instead of on God. Yeah, I died two weeks later. He was standing praying in the back. They called it a vestry. He was about to go preach and he was standing in a circle. And I don't know who was praying. He was healthy as anything. He was 83, 84. And he just fell on the ground and that was it, done. The Lord took him. The Lord took him. It's interesting in the Bible, Paul knew when he was going. Peter knew when he was going. It's very interesting. They knew, and you'll see when they knew they were going, what they did. They went back to the basics of Christianity, both of them. They went back to it. Put this as a safeguard in your life. Put this as a safeguard. Peter said, I'm going to remind you of stuff you already know. That's what they went back to. And in a sense, this is what this is. Why am I preaching this? And I'll come into an end now shortly on how to respond. Because when it goes well with us as a body, which is beginning to shift and happen, it's like this body was hidden for its long season, but it's coming out of that hiddenness. We have to continue to give glory to God and not take it towards ourselves and not compare ourselves to any other church anywhere. Because it's a test as we continue to remain humble before him and continue to know this is his grace, this is his goodness in what's happening. It's not our greatness. You know what I'm trying to say? It just keeps us at the foot of the cross and that he can receive the glory. Because when we respond in that way, he will do what he's going to do and what he promised he will do. He will do it. This church was not a planting of man. It was a planting of the Lord. People were used, I understand. But even, and I saw George and Patsy come in, and I think I saw Jane Barbara here. They were in the foundation of this church, but they know this was a planting of the Lord. A planting of the Lord. And we want it to remain a planting of the Lord. Amen.
The testing of success. I don't have time. I encourage you to go read about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the good kings. He was a king that opened up the temple. It had closed. He opened it up. He instituted the praise again. He got all the idols out of that. Brought the idols and put them in the temple. He got all the idols out. He instituted the praise. He instituted the worship again. The sacrificial system. He brought all that back. He called all Israel together. He spoke to them. They went home. They went to their homes and pulled out all the Asherah poles and all the false gods and cleared their homes. So he was an incredible king. He really was. It was like a revival under his reign. If you go read it in 2 Chronicles, I encourage you to go read it. And uh, things were going well and whatever the case is. And then he got sick and he prayed to the Lord. And Isaiah, the prophet, came to him and said, well, put your house in order. You're going to die. And he really got on his knees and he humbled himself before the Lord because the Bible said pride was beginning to enter his heart. And the Lord came back to Isaiah and said, go tell him I'll give him another 15 years. And this is how you know you'll live another 15 years. The shadow will go back some degrees. In other words, the sun's going to go back. <laughs> go read it. Go read it. I encourage you. Go read 2 Chronicles or Isaiah 38 and 39. That's the account there. Isaiah comes... And so he gets well, and it's a miraculous sign because he's so well known in all the area and all the other nations, and all the other nations hear about it. So they send envoys to him to come and, what happened? How did this happen? That's what actually happened. They all come into him. And you know what he did? He showed them his palace and his gold and his silver and how great this was, and he never told them about the goodness of God in healing him. And so Isaiah came back to him and said, Isaiah, when all those people came here, what did you do? Go read Isaiah 38. What did you do? He said, well, I told them all about my gold and my silver and my palace and my horses and my chariots. And And he says, well, the Lord says, because of that, you will live your life, but your descendants, things won't go well with them. Because the Bible says pride entered his heart. And his answer to that for me is one of the worst answers. He said, he thought to himself, well, that's fine because it's going to go well in my life. That's what success did to this man. Don't let success cripple us. James 1, go to James 1, coming to an end of this wonderful, encouraging sermon. <laughs> James 1. Don't beat yourself up when you go through trials, eh? And it doesn't work out. I'm going to teach us how to respond now. James chapter 1, when I can eventually get there. This is what it says. Oh, I don't know how James can write this. Consider it pure joy that you're saved. No, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. That's an amazing scripture. Consider it pure joy. Because your faith has been tested and it has to finish its work. It has to develop something. Go to Romans 5. I love this scripture in Romans 5. Many, many years ago, this was a foundational scripture for me when we went through some very trying times back in South Africa. 
Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, love it. We have peace with God. Underline all that. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Hallelujah. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given us. That word patience is unswerving endurance and constant steadfastness. And that word through faith is developed Approved, tried integrity. That's what it means. And Paul is saying, consider it as much joy when you go through some of these things because God is doing something in you. God is doing something in you. It's a deep work that many people can't see. So how do you respond when tested? Number one, resist the emotions of anger, bitterness, self-pity, and blame. Learn to resist those. I encourage you, because they pop up very quickly. It was his fault or her fault. And we can see that's the first thing that happened at fall. Adam, it was her fault. Eve, it was the devil's fault. It's the first thing that happened. We tend to want to push it out and blame other people to justify my reaction. And my wife taught me this more than anybody else. Let's just thank the Lord for it. Number two, begin to thank the Lord. Begin to thank the Lord for the maturity being developed in you. Hallelujah. Begin to thank him. Lord, you're bringing some maturity in my life. You're bringing some maturity into my life. Finally, yes. Number three, worship God. He's faithful and will bring you through because that's his promise. Worship him. Just begin to worship him. How many of you know when you go through a trial or temptation, you don't feel like worshiping? That's where you make the decision. I'm going to worship him. Not condemn myself because I came short. I'm going to worship him. And you will see you'll come out differently. Number four, know that your life's example is a lesson for others to follow. It is. It becomes a lesson for others to follow. And then I'll end with a scripture, but before I do that, let me give you this. All my notes from years and years, if I can find it, here it is on this little slip of paper. All right. When the trials and testing comes, the first area that goes inside of us is our peace. In the place of peace, there will be turmoil, torment, and sometimes chaos. Once your peace is gone, the attack will start with your mind. When there's a lack of peace, the best thing you can do is fall on your knees and pray until the peace returns. When there's turmoil, I find the best thing you can do is quote scripture. Quite the truth. So when this peace is gone, get on your knees and pray until the peace comes. The circumstances hasn't changed, but there's peace. And then we learn to operate from that place. We'll make a decision. 
when there's turmoil, just everything's then begin to quote scripture that's real to you. Get out your word, begin to quote the scripture until that dies down. I just found that's worked in my life over years and years and years. And then I'll end with this scripture. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Coming to an end. My, we three minutes over. Praise the living Lord. Folk, I hope this has been helpful because we do go through trials and tribulations. It's not if, it's when. And we just want to know how to respond because that determines our next season. It really does determine our next season. But I want to leave you with this scripture. Hebrews 4 verse 14. Therefore, 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 since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly. The other translations say, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. In other words, you're speaking something. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. Father, thank you. Thank you. We can come to your throne anytime, anywhere. Thank you. We can approach you no matter what is happening, we can approach you. You encourage us to. And we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, we want to be people that are mature in your eyes. That we can carry what you call us to carry. And will never point to us, but point to you. There we can be these agents of your goodness. We can be these vessels of your presence. Thank you that you discipline us as sons. Thank you for our benefit so that we may walk into the fullness of what you have for us. We thank you, God, because you are good. Even as Tommy started, you are good. You're for us. You're not against us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, people. Hi. I just wanted to comment on one or two things that Ken had said. You know, um, as most of you know, if you don't, you, you, you'll know pretty soon. Um, our kids backslid when they were teenagers, and it was a really hard time for us. But what Ken had shared about the Word of God was what brought us through. I would take scriptures, not only, um, not only proclaim them, but I would actually take a whole lot of scriptures. I love the Psalms. The Psalms are so real. Why so dark cast, O my soul, yet will I praise you? I love it. You can take what you're feeling out of the scriptures.
and take what you're going through, that raw emotion, put it in. I, I would write it down. I would write those scriptures and say, yet, God, this is what you've said. And I would write out the scriptures that God had given me over the years and the prophetic words that God had given me over the years for my children. And I would write them out. God, this is what's happening. This is what I'm feeling. But, God, you are faithful. This is what you've said. This is what you've said is going to happen. And you are true and you are faithful. That carries you through because you come out having released, as it were, the, the emotion inside of you because you know God gets it. But you come out proclaiming the truth and faith rises and faith rises and faith rises. You can apply that to any situation. But take those scriptures that really, really get down deep in you and proclaim them, and you will see what God will do. And you will see how you will turn things around, and you will see how he will turn them for the good, and how in that process you will grow, and you will come to trust him more, and you will find his faithfulness in every single situation, and you will see his kindness again and again and again, because we serve a good God. Thank you. You know, now, it's funny, we smile about those old times in our family when I was interesting. And uh, I just smile and say to my mother, you're welcome. I just grew you so much. I didn't, I didn't even want to do those things. I did it so that you could grow. She just shakes her head at me, you know. When my dad said about testings of relationships... Um, I turned to Jen, and he said, you're only as strong as what you've been through. I turned to her, and I said, that's why I'm mean sometimes. I'm trying to strengthen us. <laughs> she just smiled at me. I think that was just, I'm extremely encouraged. You said it may not be encouraging. I just felt life coming to me. And I know the admin team may smile at me, skew with what I'm about to say, but we'll get his points. Anyone who wants them, email the office. I feel like I want to go home and write them on the mirror, you know, <laughs> testings, response. So if you want that, let us know. We will get them to you. Just one quick thing, uh, and then we end. Um, number four, I think it was, it was testings of the expressed will of God. I phoned my dad, just to show you he lives what he preaches. I phoned my dad when we, I felt God tell me to come to the United States. And I was in ministry there, traveling all up and down the east coast of Africa, preaching and doing cool things. And uh, I found my dad, and, you know, this is what I feel the Lord saying. And he said to me, um, well, we don't want you. And I said, well, what do you mean? That sounded, that's not what I expected. You know, I'm coming over. He said, you don't sound sure. And he said, when you get here, everything you know will change. Everything will be tested. He said, and you need to be able to get on your knees and say to the Lord, you said, if you can't do that, don't come. And so I thought, well, that was awful. <laughs> so I went to one of the elders in the church, and I said, I feel like God's called me to go there. Now, this is the worst advice he gave me, but it was the best advice for me at the time. You know how sometimes the Lord can do that? And he said to me, well, put it to death. Put the desire to death. And if it comes back, it's the Lord. Now, I wouldn't say that to a person, but it's what I needed to hear. That process took 18 months to two years. But when I came, I knew. And it wasn't fun, and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't pleasant. But he was right. That's, that's why I say he lives what he preaches. 
They obviously personally wanted me to come. I'm their son. So it was hard advice to give, but it was the right advice. Thank you, Dad. That was outstanding. Gee, can we stand? Lord, thank you. We bless you. We love you. Amen. <laughs> bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys soon. Good morning, Free Life Church. We are glad you've joined us today. If you are visiting in person, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag and learn more about Free Life Church. A member from our Connection team will be there to answer any questions you have. Come join us for our September Encounter Night, an evening of worship and prayer next Saturday, September 11th at 6.30 p.m. Baptisms are happening on September 12th at 2 p.m. after church. If you would like to be baptized, there is still time to sign up. The Ladies' Ministry is hosting a maternity and baby item collection during the month of September to support women choosing life through Birthright of Loudoun. See our website for more details. Ladies are invited to a social evening of fun and fellowship at the Diaz's home on Friday, September 24th at 7 p.m. Registration is open through September 20th. Kids Place has some wonderful events happening this month. Kids Encounter Night is coming up on September 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. Enjoy a day of family fun and apple picking on September 16th. On September 18th, FLC team members have a training time from 1.30 to 3.30. And if you're interested in joining the excitement happening in Kids Place, contact Denise Fry. Come and join us on Constitution Day, September 17th for a day trip to Philadelphia. For more information, contact Heather Paris. Free Life Church is hiring for an administrative position. For more information, contact our church director, Cynthia Owen, at cowen at freelifechurchva.com. Remember, for more information about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for tuning in.